Welcome back, listeners, to the brighter side of blue. We're on a hot streak. This is Danny. I'm Tommy. This is JJ. Notice the pause. He was sleeping. Yeah, he was I checked was out again. I was thinking. What are you thinking about? We <laughs> nothing. Oh my. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Let's just move on. That's the definition of zoning out. He was definitely zoning out right there. Hey, we're on a little I hot got streak. I a lot of shit I have to do, so I want to get this going so right. I can go home. We only do this every time. I saved a dog today, too. Hold on a second. I had an opening, but he saved a dog, and that does take precedent. Can you tell us about, about that? I heard about the dog story. Yeah. I was letting my dog out, and there's there no yard. There's a dog that was off a leash by itself. I did a little whistle. He come running to me. I was, wasn't sure if I was going to have to shoot it or hug it. I hugged it. Got along with my dog, and it was had a collar, no name on it. So Lisa and I went on a mission, and I went and even took it to the vet, see if they could get a chip on it. No. And then so we made phone calls, rocked the neighborhood, and some young lady pulled up in a panic when she saw us with the dog. So we saved the dog. You so saved the dog. Hit. It was sitting on a busy road. I thought, oh, man, Jagger, the dog's going to get it. Right? Jagger, yeah, it's a busy road. So we, like crazy. we saved the dog. Good needs Good deeds. See, you can cut this whole thing out if you want. But no, 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 we're keeping this no, in because I, I do have a question about this, though. <laughs> because when you start the story, you were wi- mentally willing to whistle for a dog in need, and you just admitted that when you whistled, you didn't know if you were going to hug it or shoot it. So there was a distinct <laughs> possibility that you whistled was, to bring uh, a dog in to I shoot it. I did it for dramatic effect. I never would have shot it. Okay. I didn't even have a gun on me, so I, how would I have shot it? Okay, yeah. So you are just acting. But in my, and Lisa would have divorced me if, well. All right. Well, we're starting off the show. We saved the dog, Tommy. There we go. That's a good start. Did you hug the dog? I did. I put him in my car, drove him to the vet, everything. He was awesome. And no chip? No chip. Okay, listeners, let's get those dogs and cats chipped. Your personal car, not your police car, correct? My personal car. Okay. Yeah. He knew what was, or she knew it was a female. I opened my tailgate, jumped right in like he owned it, or she owned it. Like it. Let's get those dogs chipped, people. Let's get them chipped. (laughs) Brighter side of blue advice. This is... This is crazy. We're way off already. No, but we're getting back back on. Hey, um, our Melissa Doss guest, her aunt Nancy Brandon, who went missing 37 years ago. It's the brighter side of blues first cold case, and we promised our listeners um, we're going to keep you posted. We're going to put the horsepower of uh, the brighter side of blue behind it, and see what we can shake up. It's it's just, it's just so interesting. And a shout out to all the listeners and. Uh, Right before we started this particular recording, we get a phone call, and we've now identified two of Nancy Brandon's co-workers that were actually with her the night of November 24th, 1986, at the Halftime Saloon um, at that happy hour. Unbelievable. We even had, had a chance to reach had a out couple to other them. A couple others that came forward, too, that, um, again, we got some questions for them. Um, we don't want to say anything what they've said because we haven't talked to them yet. They all just came in since we've posted that which yep. is three I, days ago I, I gotta clear some up too and it was um it was about the birth control pills and a listener actually told me and i thought the same thing because i actually listened back to the podcast to see how stupid i sound yeah pretty stupid i know so <laughs> i thought the same thing when we talked about it it was dismissed that she was pregnant but they said that they found because they found the november pills in her car i guess that were filled so if she, this is the end of November. So if those pills were filled, it means she wasn't taking them. And it's very likely or highly likely that she could have been pregnant and gives the guy more incentive. And what we did do find out, though, is that the two people that were with her that night have not been interviewed by the police. 
which yeah, is which is know, which highly is, unusual. It's, it's unusual, and we're, and we're going to talk to them. We're going to put them to our guy and see if we can get some traction with this. One of the things that we, have, we literally 20 minutes ago we get this phone call, listeners. Right. So we don't think we're uh, not taking it seriously, but we are. But we're interested in a statement that Nancy Brandon made to some of the people at the happy hour about having to leave to go to play some softball. It was November. I guess there were indoor leagues back then, um, so that could have been possible. But we have learned that she was an avid softball player and played a lot of co-ed softball. So we're going to do some digging, and we'll probably be able to find this out. But if there's any listener that knows a league or a team that Nancy Brandon played for back then, that it help us. You know, yes. We, you know, Just follow up on a little information. Um, don't want to get put too much out there because we really don't know no, exactly, exactly what's going on. But what we did just talk about before the show, and Producer John, uh, uh, I think you agreed with this, is that we're going to, this is our first cold case, um, and we're going to take all of our listeners along for the ride. And, and we, want, we want the response from them, too. Well, yeah. Everybody needs to put their detective shoes on and say, you know, I well, need to find something out. Let's make this happen. And Absolutely. so you're going to go along for the ride, and we're going to be as uh, transparent. We just told you what we'd learned half an hour ago. We got some coworkers uh, that were with her the night she went missing, um, and that came from listeners. They were all avid listeners that called in. So uh, um, there's a lot of gum, you're going for the ride with us, listeners. Yep, a lot of gumshoe detectives out there got Everybody their theories. Yeah. Everybody's got a theory right now too. Yeah, it, believe it's those interesting. Ourselves, so. So uh, thank you for that, and keep it coming in. Keep the feedback coming in, and we'll go from there. Speaking of the feedback, the listeners, come on. I mean, the response to our last couple shows has been outrageously good. And when people walk up to us, and, you know, I was at a bar the other night and with my boy Woody, of course. And, <laughs> That's a uh, shocker. And uh, somebody came up and says, oh, you're the podcast guy. You know, and then that, you know. Then got into you ought to do this and you ought to do this and you ought to interview this guy and actually came up with some good ideas and we just love that feedback and, and it means a lot to us and you know and, and we'll take criticism as well as the as, as the the good stuff. Uh, what are what do you want more of? What do you want you know? And we'll we'll listen to all of them. A hundred percent. And and we did start a separate line for critiquing JJ because that was filling up our inbox. <laughs> right. So yeah, so, I mean, it was specific a specific JJ number critique. for JJ. But well, he's you know, on their text and now you no, know, no, just something at, up just, soon. I was asking to add to the conversation that all the I've gotten a bunch of text messages from people I haven't heard from saying that they like the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Jesse Finney was one. Uh, Kenny Lambert, chopper to copper, retired lieutenant. He said he's addicted to the thing. How about the? He'll, uh, he'll deny that. The Newport Beach in California. All oh, right, right. We got to reach out well, from one of the officers out there. What was his name? Uh, Steve Sorberson. Sor- yeah, Sorber- 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 Sorberon. Sorberon. We can, we can clean this up. Can you clean it, Steve Sorberon? And I went out there to visit my daughter. He was walking the beat with some other police officers, and of course, uh, I had to say hi to him. Told him about the podcast. He was interested. I gave him my contact. He reached out. And then text me a week later saying he loves the podcast. That's pretty really cool. That uh, is, and he, he did say. I think if, uh, JJ mentioned that he said that uh, Woody was one of his favorite. He said he. <laughs> <laughs> he said he's yeah he did yeah, say that. Yeah, that's good. You know, I like the listener that uh, sent a text and said they're, uh, they're they hope that Bud Light gets a hold of us uh, sooner than later to sponsor the show. And uh, we'll take producer any, John any is you know how tough he gets get. now because Dana White's picked it up and run with it, so he's all like, Not, "Yeah, well, we need to be the Bud Light guys." Well, we do. Well, hey, producer John never winked. I know he did. Controversy. Hey. He, he stayed strong uh, to Bud Light. Why should I deprive myself of something I enjoy because somebody 
some executive made a mistake. I I agree. I didn't I didn't pass up on one Bud Light the whole time the uh, all those uh, boycotts were going on. So all I said is it's a for us being from St. Louis, a lot of people we know work there, so that's why I continue to drink it because it was hurting the. It's employing the our uh, listeners. Well, uh, and then and we talked about the uh, guns and hoses. Yeah, I mean that that whole organization was started by a distributorship <laughs> that with Jerry Clinton. Jerry and Clinton. Then, hey, let's be clear, we're not sponsored by Bud Light right now because that's, that's right. It sounds but like, but we're trying. We're damn we're right. trying. This yeah. is a this is a reach out to the <laughs> corporate sponsorship. It's a shout out, you know. Yeah. If you want to hear JJ mess up some commercials on your part, uh, <laughs> right. come sponsor us. Exactly, JJ the Butcher. Um, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> I'm gonna. Uh, my lawyer will be speaking with you soon, though. So the other thing with the listeners is that our we get so many um, ideas of to have this guy on and have that guy on, and by far the most requested person to have on is Joe Bergoon, who is a retired homicide. Um, are affectionately known as like the godfather of homicide of St. Louis. And uh, we are so looking forward to having him on next week um, to interview him. I, I don't know when the exact podcast will will air, but we're having him in. And uh, who else we having in, Danny? I don't know. You didn't set this up uh, well Bill, enough for me. Bill McClellan. Bill McClellan. Bill McClellan. Yeah, and I played tennis Tommy, with Tommy, I listened Bill. to you. Thanks. Right. I listened to you, Tommy. Yeah, Bill McClellan. I threw you, next I threw you a zinger, huh? <laughs> well, I, I, you caught me off guard. You know how we have that text thread, right? Yeah, we have all the things that we're going to do, and we move yeah. back and forth. No, it's my fault. So apparently, you don't. You don't <laughs> no, I read. I did, you just caught me off guard, and I apologize. Does anybody need another Bud Light? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. Light. I'm good now. Um, I'm back. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have Bill McClellan on, uh, another St. Louis legend. Well, what do you say we should name these shows? Some of the Legend series. Well, if you think about legends, look at the people we've had on already: Jerry Layshock, Joe Spies, Joe Spies Senior. We haven't even heard any of his stuff yet. You Harry Hager. Harry Hager. I mean, now you're talking Woody. Joe Bergoon. Woody. Woody's a legendary bullshitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now you're talking about Bill McClellan and Joe Bergoon. I mean, what a ride this has been, and the, and the response from all of our listeners has been incredible, and we just keep wanting to hear from you guys. Um, again, a lot of it's been positive, and some of it you know, has critiqued us a little bit, and, and we do take that, too. So yeah, been awesome. It's been a hell of a ride so far for one month. Well, we're going to keep it going. We're Absolutely. Keep it going. This is, we're not going away. We're going to keep them coming. We're going to keep this going until the, the uh, cold cases. South, at least, right? Well, come on, listeners. Don't put us out <laughs> of business. JJ's fired, by the way. Isn't that what you decided last week? Is that once we solve this, we better solve it quick because JJ's about to get fired? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, you, you guys less. Dog story? less. Mm-hmm. You can cut the dog story. You can cut, out. You can cut me all out. I'm, I'm quitting. Is that dog story? <laughs> Here we go again. Look out for the F bombs. Uh, no, no, no. I, I learned that. Did I curse at all this time? I said, uh, yeah. yeah, in the beginning. JJ, how were your guys from last night? Another turned over mobile reserve vehicle. Oh, that's uh, what you didn't get into. Was no. that? Well, let's get into that story with yeah. the mobile reserve um, last first, Monday. I just, first off, I just asked him a question about last. I'm going to answer that. We'll, we'll answer that later. I'm going to answer it now. They're fine. Are you ready to Bud Light? Hey, they're good, Danny. They one, uh, yes. they're lucky. They're very lucky, and uh, getting text messages and phone calls now. But anyway, you can cut all that. Out. Uh, they flipped their car, got T bone. What's saying that? Of the cutting and all that shit out. Oh, let's cut that out too. 
Hey, they, but seriously, they got they got T-boned. Uh, JJ, so tell us a little bit. Your guys are right from last <laughs> night. They, they are. They are. They what are banged up. Night? They got. They went through an intersection, T-boned them, flipped them up on their roof. Uh, another scary thing when you hear one of your officers mm-hmm. say, uh, "We need supervisors up here in ambulance that's been in an accident." Uh, they were pulled out by the other officers, banged up, and I think. Uh, one got a stitch in one finger, and the other has uh, got a concussion. I think they're going to be okay. They'll be off for a little while. Two weeks. And so Mez Harris, which if that was his wife, I'd say find another line of work. He was in an accident in no- November, and he was in also uh, almost hit. He was sideswiped, standing outside a car, got knocked down, wasn't injured. And he got hit with a, in the head with a pipe last summer, chasing a guy. A guy turned around, cracked him with a pipe, gave him a concussion. So he's the the, the nurse actually recognized him when he walked in. This <laughs> thing. I swear, she yeah. goes, "You're back," and he goes, and she said, "He goes, yeah, I was in an accident again." She was man, <laughs> but she recognized him. That's crazy. He's, now he's he's bad luck. How about the story from last Monday? Last Monday, and I got to go back and talk about the criminal mindset. I don't. I think criminals they they don't wake up and say, "I'm going to commit a crime today." But if one presents itself, they'll they're take on it. it. They're on it. <laughs> they're on it. So, yeah, they, my, uh, Mobile Reserve, they tried to stop a car uh, for uh, traffic violations or something, and it took off. Uh, it got spiked by another uh, Mobile Reserve officer named Michael Hines, spiked the car. It went down the street, kind of lost its, uh, as it made a left turn, kind of lost control, hit a curb, and then he jumped out of it and took off running. And there was a delay with the policeman showing up because they backed off it. But a guy who was an opportunist, a civilian, decided to videotape it. He sees the car, guy run from it, so he knows something up. So he starts videotaping a, a car. And another silver car made a left, going pa- past him, busts a U-turn, goes back, pulls up next to the car. The car that you were chasing originally. Yes, that people got and ran from. That, yeah, but she, the gal jumps out of her car. She runs around, gets into the car that was there, grabs a black bag, and jumps back in her car, makes a left. As she makes a left, our, the police car, the mobile reserve car, pulls in and pulls up next to the car that is abandoned. The guy yells out the window, who's videotaping, it's all on videotape, says, hey, the gal just grabbed uh, something, a black bag out of that, that car and jumped in her car and made the left in front of you. So they quickly, right on it, and they quickly just did a U-turn, uh, stole and Terrence Ruffin, Jeff stole and Terrence Ruffin. They went after her and stopped her. And, and they said that she, was probably going to take off, but it got stuck behind traffic in a bus, so they got her out. What she did is she grabbed the bag, she threw it in her, per- dumped the contents in her personal bag, which had a gun in it. So Uh-oh. she confessed to everything. They get they get her a pull, get her out of the car, find three types of drugs, and a pistol. So she gets charged three times for VMC. So she had the pistol. Had a pistol already, but then added the dope on right. top of the pistol. Right, and that's so now move. she's got a. Yeah, that's so she gets charged with the three drugs, and the pistol. They catch the guy in a foot pursuit. He gets charged for the drugs because they were his to begin with. He gets three charges of VMCSL and felony fling. So when I'm watching the video of this guy, and I'm saying, I thought it was actually, I thought it was an in-car camera, a police car. I go, who's videotaping this? There's some guy just did it. And he yelled at us to go get him. Like, that is incredible. And she did not know the guy. She had no idea who no. these people were. She just saw a car that was a, successfully abandoned from the police right. and took the drugs out of it the <laughs> the greatest part is she's like drove real slow and like you just tell her mind is like thinking thinking right. and then she busts a u-turn pulls up and then gets out as fast as she can runs in and is like lickety split grabs that bag and jumps in her car and takes off right in front of the police car 
So she thought That's she was getting great. away with it. If that guy wasn't Joe Citizen, wasn't videotaping it, they, she would have been sky-free with all the three di different types was, of drugs. Was there. there any fentanyl in there, do you know? There was fentanyl, um, cocaine, and I don't remember. Ecstasy. Ecstasy, Ecstasy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Three types. I'm familiar with my drugs. <laughs> yeah, she was uh, no, no. There's no weed. That, in there. they got, right now, I'm telling you, she didn't wake up thinking she was going to commit a crime that day. Maybe she did, but most likely, she saw an opportunity and took it. And she had a long history of arrests, so it wasn't her first day <laughs> in the job. And that caught me by surprise. That was good, producer. Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's a good story. I mean, that's a really good story, you guys. You, you, when your guys uh, keep their cars on the on the wheels and not on the roof, they do great work. Yeah, and you know. And, uh, Major Benoist hates it when I call him my guys. For some reason, he always gives me trouble joking. So the Mobile Reserve officers did this. So they're not well, they right. are your guys. Well, not the Pierre. My, those like our listeners are our people. Our they're listeners. my people. Pierre, if you listen to this podcast, I don't know if you know how to figure out how to watch a podcast, but if you do. Um, right, they're I'm my a, people. Uh, they're my people. My guys, my people. Our right. listeners' people are our people. Damn, that's why we want them to keep telling people. So we, <laughs> get, more we people. get more people. And get yeah. your dog chipped. And get your dog chipped. <laughs> <laughs> you know one thing that bothers me about producer John? He's funnier than all of us? Well, he is smarter than all of us in several one regard is that he has never, ever um, diversified from Bud Light. Like he, we're back on the Bud Light. I well, like I don't know. We're, just, getting, this, we're getting the sponsorship come hell or high Well, water. he just took a sip and it just irritated me. Irritated you? Well, because he's never – I mean, I brought a – 12-pack of Bush Light up one time, and he gets up and leaves and goes, grabs a 12-pack uh, of Bud Light because he won't drink anything but Bud Light. Nothing but Bud Light, period. And it just irritates me. Well, I me. can remember when we all met, um, before, well before the podcast and when this was controversy was going on. And I don't know that we were all pleased with that he was drinking Bud Light because no. we felt differently. And then when he told us why he kept drinking Bud Light, we're like, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's drink some Bud Light. I find him stubborn and not very diverse. I found the fact that I found it. I call nice. it loyalty, and I took a lot of flack for months. It wasn't loyalty. It was loyalty to yourself. Yeah, loyalty saying, to this yourself. Is, this is what I do. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and, if, and if Bud Light would become a sponsor, I, I'd be more loyal to them. But I'm loyal to myself. But I love Bud Light. I drink it every day. And I think everybody should go out and buy a six-pack. Right. Everybody who's listening to this. Yeah. Let's see, once again, there we go. Bud Light, first corporate sponsor. We're going after it. Yeah, right. after We're it. going after it hard. Will I get, hey, will I get paid then? Yeah, uh, no. Anyway, so uh, uh, um, you're still fired. <laughs> if we start making money, you're really fired. I've never seen a guy that's on double secret probation start making demands. Hey, when I know when you lock the door when I come here that it's over. <laughs> but I can't get in. I know it's um, well. It was no, a good run, but it lasted. That's good. You know what other listener we heard from was Mary Beth Carr. Was is the, wow. You know, and Mary Beth was mentioned in the Randy Sassinger. Uh, she's another episode. legend. She's another. She legend. is a legend because yeah, she's she behind, right. and she is the criminal an analysis or um, analyst, analyst, analyst. Um, forensic analyst. Been running, been in our lab for thirty, thirty-five years, at least. Um, and she's been involved. All these cases you've heard about, from the Southside Rapist to Mari Travis. I'm sure Joe Burgoon's going to talk about several cases that she was the one analyzing the evidence. And uh, she was. She had mentioned that she would love to hear from Joe Burgoon. And I, 
And I just emailed her back saying, He's coming you're on. You're reading her mind. He's coming on. Hey, Tom, you know how she heard about the podcast? How's that? I told her about it. See? That's did not did you deep. pull her over? Yeah. <laughs> pulled her over. Told her about the podcast. No. Two degrees from JJ. Everything's two degrees from JJ. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you you knew in, that. You weren't going to give me California a... We're in California now. <laughs> we're in California now because of JJ. Yeah. yeah. That's Newport right. Newport Beach. Steve Soberson. Soberon. Soberon. We're down in Naples, Florida. So Steve, we're coast to coast now. We're coast to coast. 262 Steve cities we're in. Really? That's on the statistics. 262 cities. Now, they do break St. Louis up into different cities, but... Yeah, but we're in 262 cities, but like... I believe uh, we have some Canadian uh, listeners, too. Canadian? Mm-hmm. Jamaica? Really? I don't know if we're in Jamaica. I think one of our fans might have been visiting Jamaica. But we've No, we're taking Jamaica. We're no, taking Jamaica. we're taking Jamaica. <laughs> Columbia? Yeah. The, so, yeah. Columbia, Missouri? No. Uh, no. The country? And not Columbia, the, the, the... Yeah. The country. The country of Columbia. I don't know who the who we know out there. It might right. be El Chapo. Might have heard we're talking. I'm about. guessing it's That's a DE true. agent. One I was thinking pe- it's one a of his agent. people. One yeah. of his one of his people might be in Columbia listening to us. And they know Jack Riley's coming on. Yep. And then we are just to talk about that. Yeah, we're having um, Jack Riley on. Everybody's a lot of people have been requesting. Joe Bergen was the top request. I would say the El Chapo thing is the second most requested thing. When are you guys going to talk about El Chapo? Okay. So. Oh. Bringing it to you, and uh, I don't know how I'm how we're going to uh, cut this all up, but move it around. I thought we had some good shit here. Yeah, we do, and we got yes. more coming in. That was so uh, coming up. Uh, we're going to be releasing our uh, Colonel John Frank, Commissioner of Police, hostage uh, story. So a little bit behind this is that we taped this a lot earlier, trying to set up how desperate. Tony Danelli was, or when he took Commissioner Frank, John Frank's dad, hostage, um, what state of mind he was in. And I think we got too tied up into naming the, the corporations and who was all involved in this financial scandal and, and all that. And then JJ's over there texting while we're doing this stuff. It was not. <laughs> but I do believe that that man was desperate and he was thought that he was innocent. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. And he had reason to do what he well, did. Well, we were that. babbling, and I'm glad you're going to clean it up, and we'll clean no, it up. No, it's not cleaning it up so much, but I think, and we've said so many times on other episodes, is we like to bring you the personal side or the an insight that you've never heard from an investigation or from whatever we're bringing to you before. And what we had the pleasure of doing that night that we taped this is we had not only John, obviously John was there, but his brother Joe. And we had Tony Lockenick, who was part of the hostage response team with us. And it gives you a real personal um, insight. And what you're going to hear coming up is a real personal insight of when this hostage thing's going on is from people that were involved in it. You know, and yourself, Danny, you were yeah. involved in it. And you're going to hear a lot because you were friends of the family from yep. from very uh, from a very young age. And... Um, and that personal side of the hostage taking, and and again, the negotiator was the, the movie The Negotiator with Kevin Spacey and Samuel Jackson was based off of this. And we what we tried to do in the first show was really get into why he was he was all that Tony Donelli was desperate, and we we were naming all the financial agencies that were involved. And, yeah, I get and you. the pensions and. And basically what we're going to just set up is that it was 
you know, as far as our purposes go, I, I think we should obviously the, the you know the listener needs to know that there was a investigation going on. Uh, people were stealing from the police pension fund. My dad, you know, being part of the police board, got suspicious, and really up until toward the end, Tony Dinelli was working with my dad to help. Right, they were on I the same team. They were friends, and they met all the time, but. As the case went on, everybody else involved, the, these people, you know, these police and non-police started ple- pleading guilty, and, and, and Tony was the last man standing in this whole thing, and, and I think he just really needed to get out. And people that I've talked to since that knew Tony really well, is, is he, he loved being a policeman, and he wanted his brother and sister police officers to know that he, at least in his mind he didn't do anything wrong and he was and well and then part of that and and that's a great setup because part of the whole thing is that the the, the stealing from the pension system started in 1982 tony Donelli didn't get involved into the pension system until 1984 and he ran on the and he he tried to get involved in the pension system because he didn't agree with what they were doing yes so this was part of it and then when he first came on he was working with your father to bring light to the things that these these companies were doing with the, the and they didn't know exactly what they were doing with the stealing and the and the, and and all that and again we're not going to get into all that but he brought light to that and he was working with your father when he first got there and then it went sideways because there's a lawyer involved and his name was Don Anton and he was a high rolling lawyer that had nothing to do with the pension system but he was an influence maker. Um, and Tony Donnelly believed he needed an influence maker to get promoted. Mm-hmm. So even though Tony thought he was, and Tony did not, they could the government could not prove that he took any money from the scandals. But what they could prove is that he was lying about his relationship with Donnie and Tom. Yeah. And when you get involved in all that, you get involved in what you know, the word conspiracy. We all know that word. And when you get involved in a conspiracy, you catch the same charges as everybody else yeah. within the conspiracy. And Joe and that, Frank does a good job of clearing that up. And when yeah, when you're going to hear Joe Frank, and, and you're going to hear a lot of uh, personal stuff, which again, I, I just loved it when I was listening to it. Is there's the personal aspect of John, yourself, and Joe Frank, and it was, and then Tony Lockenick, you know, when he was um, as part of the hostage team. These are all people that were involved, and it was. Um, like I said, when I listened to it, it was it was pretty neat just because of the personal aspect of it. Yeah, I, I think you know the the true crime stories that we tell on this podcast. Anybody can go on the internet and look up the you know the the the, the basic facts. What we try to bring is insider, you know, perspective. Um, what it was like like to be there. What what went on behind the scenes and and, and things like with Southside Rapists. You know, talking to a victim and to Randy Sassinger, who 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 broke the case. That's what people don't get by looking right. it up on on, on, Google. on Google. Yep, I absolutely. Agree. And then with where we started, when what you're going to hear in coming up is just a recording of us a long time ago when we first started this. Yeah, we're coming in. Thanks, Thanks. listeners. Thanks for everything you're doing. Keep the information well, coming in on our yep. cold case. And enjoy the hostage or the conversation with John Frank, Joe Frank, and Tony Lockenick about the hostage taking of Commissioner Frank, the father.
of John. Producer John. Yeah. He produced Producer John. (laughs) (laughs) We have, quite frankly, we have um, Producer John Frank is stepping up is because it was his father, Colonel John J. Frank, that was taken hostage. And Joe Frank, Joe Frank's a partner at Brown and Crouppen Law Firm. Uh, Post-Dispatch just uh, rated you guys number one law firm in St. Louis, so we'll be looking for some sponsorships there. Um, so, um, Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. So that's a yes for the sponsorship deal I just mentioned? Right. Uh, in no way was it, should that be construed as a yes. Okay. I mean, so that's, but it's not a no. <laughs> so I didn't hear no. Tony Lockenick on. Sergeant retired Tony Lockenick, um, who was with the mobile reserve unit and the SWAT. Hostage response team. Hostage response he team. He responded. Say hi, Tony. Hello. And we'll Tony. get Tony's story here after we lay yeah, everything out. Tony stories. Oh, yeah. We're going we're gonna to have we fun with Tony. We had a on one time. So Tony was actually in the building on the day of the hostage event. Uh, Tony, was that true? Yes, I was. Okay. So, so that's always good. A Saturday over Labor Day, I Little, understand. Haven't heard from JJ yet. What do you got? I got nothing. That's, that's so there's you <laughs> used to that, huh? I'm with, yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least I read a bunch of stuff about this whole case yesterday. So, so it is an interesting case. The other interesting part of this whole thing is that the, the movie The Negotiator came from this incident. And it wasn't loosely involved in it. It was this it came from this incident. And for all those who either saw the negotiator, um, JJ being loud over there again. Sorry. That's all right. For those who haven't seen the negotiator, it's it's about um uh, a, a person who feels that they're innocent and wants to prove their innocence and they go up against the, the SWAT team and the guy used to be a SWAT team member against another SWAT team member so well I think this might be a good time for uh, uh, Joe Frank to step in because the feds are getting involved the, 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 the cat's out of the bag is that the term I'm looking for? The cat's out of the sure. bag Yes. and Danelli and Colonel Frank tells Danelli hey go talk to the feds and Danelli's on the same page with the feds and Colonel Frank, but we learned a little something that may not be the case. Yeah, my understanding is, and, and of course I heard this all secondhand, was that my dad and Tony Danelli were working hand in hand with the feds trying to build this criminal case against Anton and the others who were part of this scheme. And the story my dad told me was one morning a, I guess an FBI agent came to his office and said, we want to show you some videotape. And it was from a rest stop off Highway 70 at 4 in the morning, and it was Tony Danelli meeting with Don Anton. I have not seen that tape. I don't know, but, but that's wow. the story that I heard. Right. Now, this is after uh, it's, it's believed that Colonel Frank, Tony Donnelly and the feds were all conspiring against uh, Anton and the fraudulent members of the uh, board. Well, not conspiring, but they were all working together to, yeah, for that prosecution. Yeah, that's a wrong word. So that yes. just, yeah, that, that was a, like, kind of a dumb thing to say, yeah. conspiring. Well, no, yeah, so they were, they were all working in concert to try to build this criminal case against Anton and the others. And Right. So and it was your dad's belief that Tony's on their team. And there would be no reason for him so to be... So you're saying Tony didn't have a wire on or nothing like that? I'm not aware of that. No. no. I, I don't know that... I, I, and I don't know if they followed Anton there or followed Tony there. I, I, the only story that my dad told me was that 
they, that they were filmed at by federal agents at a rest stop off of Highway 70. Right. Which would, in, stuff like that indicates guilt, right? Well, let's Especially go back to, to what J.J. was saying. J.J. was saying, did Tony have a wire on to help the feds? But your dad was frustrated with the video, right? His reaction was frustration with the video. Well, no, I think the implication that I have was the feds were like, this guy isn't working with us. There you he's, go. He's working against there us. There you go. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. So it all comes down to he was he withheld his relationship with Anton to many different people. So why did he do that? The only thing we can speculate is that it is mentioned numerous times that he wanted to get promoted. And as we all know, in those days, you did actually need to know somebody, or it did help significantly helped to either know somebody that was very high up in the police department or politically connected or whatever that relationship may be. Um, there was numerous people that could get you promoted, but the belief is is that he wanted to get promoted, and Anton, being a prominent lawyer, could help him. From what I read from these court papers, I don't know that Danelli knows exactly what's going on, but when he becomes the president, there's a certain point in time where he does figure this out, or because now he's trying to hide his relationship with Don Anton, right, and. It's clear that he was filtering some information about the case to Anton. And what you're describing there, Tom, is conspiracy. And if you're part of a conspiracy, it doesn't matter whether you get the money or not. If you're okay. the, the least guilty conspirator is as guilty as the most right. guilty conspirator. Okay, that's if you're part good. of a conspiracy, you're part of a conspiracy. No, and, and okay. So it doesn't mean exactly you got a why. nickel out of it or... Right. Yes. If you're in the, Everybody in the conspiracy is complicit in the crimes that are committed in furtherance of that conspiracy. All right. And to bring up a little bit about background on, on our father is he was a trial lawyer by, by trade. You know, the, you know, he was a police commissioner. He was appointed by Governor Ashcroft. And the reason my dad wanted to be a, a police commissioner because our grandfather, our mom's dad, was a policeman for 40 years named Cornelius Powers who never got promoted. He was on from 1930 to 1970. Was a patrolman the whole time, um, and Dad just you know he took the job because he wanted to um, look out for the little guys, you know, and and uh, you know, and, and and help you know, you know, the rank and file officers more than you know, than have like a power trip of you know just uh, being a police commissioner. So uh, he didn't have any background in, in these type of investigations. Uh, you know, he did personal injury lawyer, medical malpractice, but he smelled a rat uh, once he got in, in the middle of this. He, you know, he, he goes, I'm not an expert on this, but I, something's not right. And then, so that, that's where, you know, my dad's coming from. People say, well, he's a police commissioner. He wasn't a lifetime police person. He was on the board for a little over four years. But, um, you know, that's where his heart was, and that's where he was coming from. Hey, can I say something about your dad real quick? Certainly. I uh, was a young policeman. I got called in off the street by my lieutenant. This would be a short story. It says, tomorrow you're taking off. You're taking a holiday, and you're going to go meet Mr. Franks at his house. You're going to drive his car and him and his wife to Ashcroft's daughter's wedding, and he's got another function he wants to go to. Some lawyers retiring. I need you to um, pick him up and drive him, dress nice. So I did. He said, whatever you do, don't ask him for a penny. Just do it. He's a former board commissioner, and he's a good man. Just take care of him. I said, okay. So went there for free, took a day off. I was, you know, I was young. At the end of the day, uh, I was getting ready to leave. 
gave me two $100 bills. And I refused them. But I took them. Yes. <laughs> there's, there's no way my dad I was going to let you leave without the... <laughs> no, heck no. Oh, shoot. I, and, act and like I, I was wondering keep... how Jimmy was going to get involved in this story. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to tell you. <laughs> so instead he of pulling the car man, over, so he was actually driving, driving the car. The car. And oh actually, I, I dropped your, your mother off, and we went to the private party downtown for an attorney that... Uh, Actually, my sister actually worked for that law firm that the guy that uh, Mr. Fahey, I believe his name was, he went to his retirement party. And I actually, I was going to sit in the car and he's like, no, you're coming in. So I walked in with him and I felt like I was his bodyguard, but I wasn't, but he was cool. He was a good man. Yes, he was. Yeah, thank you, Jimmy. I knew him well. Uh, gr- got uh, you a job. I guess you did know him well. And, you know, <laughs> Joe and I's great uncle, John, John Frank, Johnny, Uncle Johnny, as we called him. He, he knew the Ashcroft family. He knew John Ashcroft since he was a little kid. So that was my dad's way of, of getting in on the police board is, you know, he went through Uncle Johnny, who uh, got dad to the governor. You know, by, by that time, uh, Ashcroft was governor, and that was his ticket to getting on the police board. It's the first time I ever drove a Rolls Royce, and I haven't driven one since. I was oh. in that Rolls Royce several it's times. Nice. Yeah. I actually drove around when he was at Ashcroft's wedding around Manchester and went into uh, Steak and Shake to get a burger and parked the Rolls Royce out in front. And I walked in, I saw Jack Buck in line to get a hamburger. Are you serious? I swear to God. It's a hell of a night. It it's was. It's a was hell cool. of a night. Yeah. So now we'll go into a couple things that Danelli picked, and, and they they did a, uh, a legal beef, which I think you call an appeal. Um, so <laughs> he had some legal beef. So he had some legal beefs. And, and it starts out with... The picking of the jury. So as they're going through Vordire, it starts out with seven defendants. And as you're, and as everybody knows, you're Vordire and you're asked the jury questions. And one of the things you do is tell them about the case they're going to hear. So they're hearing about seven defendants, and then two drop out. And they're hearing about five defendants, two drop out. Then they do opening statement, and two more drop out. So all these people are dropping out, and one... Guy Take a police, guilty. Right? They, they pled guilty. They all pled guilty. Well, they didn't just drop out because they didn't want to participate. I got better stuff were. to do. I'm, yeah, not, I'm not coming <laughs> back. <laughs> <to long. laughs> Screw this. This is no fun. Yeah, I'm getting out of here. Hey, Your Honor, I'm out of here. This ain't going my way. I'm done. I'm done. I just canceled this. So I get what you're saying, though. They all were taking these pleas and and he's the last man he's the standing. last man standing and and I don't know I've, I've never sat on a jury but if I'm sitting on that jury and I'm like what's this guy doing and then you hear all that evidence I mean there is there was a lot of money stolen and when you're hearing about stolen money and all the, the, the different things that was going on I can see where a jury would come up with the conclusion that he was guilty there is no doubt in my mind I don't think anybody can disagree Tony Danelli thought he was innocent of all these charges Correct. Um, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Joe? Yeah. And, and I think it was more the charges than what he might have been guilty of because he was charged with extortion. Ten counts of mail fraud, Ooh. one count of conspiracy, and you covered that. Four counts of extortion are attempted extortion. A lot of the Post Dispatch articles early on, Colonel Frank and Danelli were on the same page and and Colonel Frank really appreciated what his angle was of cleaning up the pension system uh, I think one quote said that when Colonel Frank said on day one we had concerns about the pension system so on day one when he was sitting 
on the pension board as a police commissioner, he said we had concerns. So he was welcoming Danelli's take on cleaning this up, and they just went sideways down the road. You know, I think he got he went into it for all the right reasons. Exactly. And then, and I don't think he, I don't think he took a penny. I don't think he got a penny out of it. He no. went, and I think what's the saying? If you lay down with dogs with fleas. You Something might like, get a flea. Yeah, you get caterpillars. But you know, that's, <laughs> that's what Joe was saying about the conspiracy thing. And um, Joe, you were there the day. Joe Frank was there in the courtroom the day he was. Uh, I was there for the sentencing. For the sentencing. Okay, you're right. And that was on a Friday? That was on a Friday. It was uh, the day before the hostage. So it was right before school started. I was, a, I was between my first and second year of law school, and I was working as a clerk at my dad's firm at the time, Holverson, Holverson, and Frank. And... So it was, it was Friday, and my dad had told me that the sentencing was happening that day. He goes, I want you to go and just write down what everybody gets and and then you know bring it back. We didn't have cell phones, and I couldn't call him or text him with it. And so I, the sentencing went, as I recall, throughout the morning. I don't remember really anything about the sentencing other than writing on there what everybody got and making a note that Danelli had the biggest sentence. And that previous week, my dad had police security with him 24 hours a day because they were afraid Tony Donnelly was, had either made threats or they, they were afraid he was going to do something because he was a desperate man. And okay. so when the sentencing got done, I met my dad and his security detail at the Edge restaurant over off Mississippi, and which was one of my dad's regular places to go for lunch, and I reported to them what had happened and it was at that lunch my dad said, well, it's all over now. I, I don't need you guys to be my security detail anymore. So he said, so for tomorrow morning when I go to work, I, I don't need, a, I don't need a, an officer to take us. 